this is Elevation Gains Podcast. I'm Jim, an avid backpacker and hiker from Reno, Nevada. I'm Holly, a coach and weightlifter. I own a strength gym in Oakland, California. And on this podcast, we attempt to break down some of the barriers that keep people from enjoying the backcountry. Here we are at episode 10. This was a super fun episode. We had our second guest ever for the whole podcast. Yeah, I really like the energy that we have when we have guests. Like, obviously, everybody has their own energy, but it brings uh, a different infusion in. Yeah, definitely. And I think the guest this time around was was particularly fun. I'm a little biased because he's my best friend. and uh, But the conversation was was really fun and really informative. And I think Brian brought a lot to the table, a lot of different aspects of it that I wouldn't have thought of. Yeah. And it was really cool to get to know him a little bit. Like you go on trips with him often and talk about him in reference to trips often. And so it was cool to like get a chance to sit down and listen to you guys tell stories about, you know, trips that you've been on and experiences that you've had and like kind of add the, add his voice to the narrative that has been created by you in my head. Definitely, definitely. And I think it's an important episode, too, because we we dig into, you know, the different types of fun that you can have while adventuring and and kind of how to mitigate having a bad experience. And, and I think all too often, especially with the rise in popularity of social media, having a bad time is kind of glamorized. You know, you always hear people like embrace the suck or get into the pain cave and it just, it doesn't have to be that way. And we dig into kind of the meat of that misconception a lot in this episode. Right. And like how that actually can be dam- damaging and actually really dangerous. Like in the world of strength sports, right? People in CrossFit often post pictures of their like ripped up and bloody hands and things like that. And then when you look at it from the outside, you're like, why do you enjoy this? And I have seen that in the backcountry world as well. And it's it's not necessarily good. Sometimes you go on trips and they're hard and they're not as fun as you wish that they were. But if it just sucks really bad and it's you know, going in a wrong direction, then it's actually chances are that you're simply not doing things right. Yeah, definitely. And I think it can be a barrier for new adventurers who, who have never tried going backpacking or never tried going paddleboarding or never tried going free diving or whatever the thing is that you want to try. If you watch somebody who you perceive as better than you at it, struggling and suffering, you might just go, you know what, maybe that's not for me. Right. Like if that person can walk X number of miles in a day and they're struggling through this, then there's no chance I can even do half of it. And we talk a lot about that too, right? Like I kind of expected this episode to be a lot of just laughing about storytelling and and hard times on the trail. And it ended up being like a amount of information that I feel really proud of. So we talked about uh, kind of like how to build up your Uh, I don't want to say tolerance, but like your ability to understand where your boundaries and where your limits are and how to take that step by step so that you keep yourself safe. And you also have like a kick-ass time because that's most of what we're doing, right? Like this isn't our job. This is the thing that we're doing in our free time. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's one of those things I've always said about backpacking. If it ever stops being fun, I'm just going to stop going. Yeah, exactly. And like the different types of fun thing is for lack of a better term, really fun to talk about because all of us have thought about this a lot and engaged in a lot of really, really hard things. And as it turned out, we didn't all have the same definitions of one, two, and three. And that was pretty cool to dig into too. Absolutely. So let's dig into the episode. Welcome to Elevation Gains, episode 10. We are pretty excited. Pretty excited today. We have our second guest. If you have spent any time at all on my YouTube channel, you already know our guest. His name is Brian Boydston, and he has been my kind of go-to hiking buddy for the better part of what? Five seven. years? Seven years? Seven years. So if you've watched any of my YouTube videos, you've already met Brian. If you haven't watched any of my YouTube videos, you should do that right after you listen to this episode. <laughs> um, do we want to talk about Brian's history at all? I think we'll do that with Brian. Um, so my history is uh, I grew up spending a lot of time out in the desert in Nevada with my uncle and my brother and kind of lost touch with that after high school and into adulthood. And then, uh, some life circumstances were led to, I was bored, but had no money and couldn't do anything. And I was like, well, there's trails everywhere and hiking is free. So just kind of started doing some day hikes around and a group of friends, we, we would go on what we called family hikes where we'd meet up on a Saturday or a Sunday and go somewhere and have lunch. And that just sort of escalated to the first overnight trip with Jim because I, he, I knew he did it. And I was like, this is a guy that can show me how to do this and not die. And so uh, that, that kind of got the ball rolling. And now since then, our interests have diverged and converged and diverged and they come and go. We, we are into slightly different things at different times, but I'm always learning and Jim's always learning and it's always fun whenever I learn something to then be like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta tell Jim this, this will blow his mind. And I look forward to when he goes out and learns something too, because he gets into stuff that I don't. Okay. That was like the greatest intro ever. Um, Jim, do you want to catch us up on what you've been up to? Yeah. So this past week, uh, or weekend, I guess, technically Kiki and I took the, a excellent just quick overnight trip uh to this place called fortis fortis falls i'm probably not pronouncing that correctly but we're gonna run with it um it's about an hour away from my front door and it's an area that i have i've hiked in that area a bunch it's out by uh grouse ridge and glacier lake which you and i have talked about uh so i've spent a ton of time out in this area but i've never walked this particular trail and it was just amazing. Like every step of the way, the whole time, everything was gorgeous and beautiful. There was wildflowers everywhere. 
the middle of the hike before you get to a place where you can camp there's this multi-tiered waterfall that was just absolutely breathtaking um and you know i always have kind of joked that the, the mountains have their own plan and you can never plan for everything and so we got out to where we had initially planned on camping and some circumstances arose that, that caused me to change my mind. And so Kiki and I backtracked about a mile and took this other side trail that I hadn't researched and I didn't know anything about. And this side trail added 1500 feet of elevation gain that I was not planning on. It had us camping at 6,900 feet above sea level instead of 5,400 feet. And uh, it fucking snowed. <laughs> and, you know, and that was literally my reaction was I just sort of laughed it off. I'm like, you know what? The mountains have their own plan. But that's this is this is where my life's at right now. I also just it- want to point out it's June. Right. Yeah, it's well, it's June in Nevada. So that's a little bit. Uh, we've we've literally twice in my lifetime had 4th of July fireworks canceled due to snowstorms. Whoa. Okay. Well, that makes me, makes me feel a little bit better about the fact that it was snowing up there. Cause I was like, well, climate change, you're just like all over the place. Cause I feel like California went from having like pretty mild seasons. Like you obviously have more, uh, you know, extreme seasons than I do, but like, you know, pretty predictable. And now it's just like, I don't know. It's like August. It might snow. It might rain. It might, might be 115. Who knows? It does. It does seem that way. I mean, it, it's hard to gauge that being a lifelong Nevadan because our weather has always kind of been a 20 sided die. And it, it's just, <laughs> uh, you just, you just never know. Like, I mean, I, we've had, we've had massive snowstorms well into June in July, but we've also had, you know, temperatures in the triple digits in late September. And it's just been that way my whole life. So it's never, I can always tell who the new people in Nevada are because they're like, Oh my God, it's snowing in June. You're just like, yeah, man, that happens all the time. It's like literally every year you get used to it. Yeah. I mean, that literally happened to me last year. I I think we talked about this on the podcast actually, but like, uh, when Brian and I went up to Lassen and we were like, okay, we're just going to go for like a nice summery fucking hike up in Lassen. And now I'm intensely grateful that we went because of course we saw in the snow, which I was not well prepared for at all. Um, all, a lot of things that are now of course gone. Um, but at the time I was like, I think I have like a literal video of doing exactly that where I was like, how the fuck is it snowing in June? Um, Cause it was, it was very, very snowy. So Brian and I have a really funny Lassen story that we'll get into. Um, but what have you been up to in the last, since, since we last spoke? Uh, well, I took the puppies out on paddle boards for the first time, which was like amazingly fun. Um, so they are eight months old now and very, very, very different. Um, 
one of them decided that like every wave might be an attacking army and tried to fight it off um, in hilarious and loud and slightly stressful moments um, because the California coast was not calm this weekend. And, uh, and that was interesting. The other one literally just stood or sat laid down. He was in a bag. Um, just totally still, just totally calm, completely happy and content the entire time. Like no concern over the fact that we are now on the ocean. And then the swells got up to about, I don't know, probably five or six feet. Um, and you know, there's like, it started to drizzle on us. Um, a seal booped my board and it like sort of went like, uh Oh, uh Oh, um, and he was totally fine. Meanwhile, Lalo is on Brian's board, just like going ape shit over everything. Um, so that was fun. Uh, and I got a new drone because I'm going to Iceland at the end of July for a four day solo. I'm going to try to go all the way around the island in a Bronco that has a tent on the top adventure. So seems like a good time to get a new drone. And so I decided to like play around with my drone, hike around on the California coast and, and take these guys out. So that was, that was the latest, like kind of fun little adventure that I went on. But honestly, the business has been so busy lately that I've been like a little, a little housebound. Yeah. I saw some of your drone footage on your Instagram, uh, flying over, I guess it was sea lions. Yeah. The seals, the chunky little seals in Jenner. Yeah. That was a really cool shot. I liked that shot. Uh, yeah, it's fun too because they look up and you. I'm I'm always like really careful with like a wildlife situation. If I have a drone and I go near an animal, which I try to actually use my drone to see animals up close because I don't want my body or my presence to disturb them. Um, and so far, I've never had an animal seem concerned. I had a very adorable bison situation once um, where a baby bison started running around in circles while looking at the drone. That was pretty funny um, and adorable. But for the most part, animals are not that concerned. But that video is particularly fun because you can see the seals like look up at it and they know it's there and they're like, it's chill. And then they just like roll over and go back to their <laughs> chunky little nap. Um, so yeah, if you're interested, that video is on my, uh, my Holly does nature Instagram. Yeah, it's a cool video. If you, if you've got your phone handy, you should definitely check it out. So Brian just got back from a really cool trip and ha having been along for the ride for a lot of kind of the, I, I, for lack of a better term, the catastrophe that this this trip became before he actually got to take it. I'm so happy that he that he got to finish it and that it was a successful trip. But Brian, if you don't mind, you want to talk a little bit about your your Shasta adventure? Yeah. So uh, about two years ago, um, given what Jim and I had been doing hike wise and kind of what we'd been into, I had looked into what it would entail to climb Mount Shasta and it, just knowing that it's a cascade volcano and it's, it's different than the Sierra. There are glaciers, it's steeper. Any route involves 7,000 feet of elevation gain at a minimum, just like the logistics involved and glacier travel and all of the skills and hazards associated with that kind of compelled me to, 
seek out going with a guide. And so I hit up Shasta Guides and through the American Alpine Club got a decent discount. And so, you know, put up the money to go climb it in on the 4th of July weekend in the summer of 2020. And obviously that didn't work. (laughs) And so the, the trip got postponed till 4th of July, 2021. And the, the idea was do to do it on via the North side. My, my rationale was I would like to get skills instruction from qualified people to rope travel, crevasse rescue, um, just general glacier travel skills, just straight from the horse's mouth, how to walk in crampons, how to self arrest and what kind of protection is involved as the terrain steepens or relaxes and how to deal with the snow. And so I figured the North side would be the place to go. And two days before the trip last summer, it was canceled because the mountain was on fire. (laughs) And even though the fire wasn't near where the cars were, if we're going to be on the mountain for four days, the, the fire might be there by the time we're done, which means we may not be able to get out or your car may be burned. And so trip was canceled again. And I rolled it over another year. And this year I decided rather than try for the 4th of July for the third time, just I'm going to go in May and there'll be as much snow as possible while still being decent conditions. And we ended up going the weekend before Memorial Day and the north side was a sheet of blue ice, so we ascended the west face route instead. There's access to the north side, and then taking a bunch of clients on a guided trip up blue ice was more than what we had all signed up for. So I actually did get to go do it and had a, had a blast, learned a ton, not only about the logistics and skills involved, but about myself, about the mountain, the history of the area, uh, made some friends. And so I'm glad it finally got to happen and that it wasn't horrific weather and we, we made it to the top. And I'm looking forward to what the, the next step may be, which I think the I haven't made up my mind about that yet. So as I mentioned earlier, Brian and I spent a significant amount of time in the backcountry together and, and apart, but we, we have more than a few stories of trips that we took together that kind of went sideways. And that's kind of what this episode is about. But primarily what we wanted to talk about today was this, this idea that you'll see a lot on social media, especially some of the larger accounts on, on YouTube and Instagram and what have you of like, like suffering and, and pain being part of the adventure and almost, almost a necessary part of the adventure. And I vehemently disagree with that idea. Like absolutely. Sometimes you land in the pain cave. It just, it happens, but it doesn't have to be that way. And, and that shouldn't be the point of the trip. Well, and I want to just add that there's often an assumption of suffering that isn't necessarily there. When somebody hears that you walked 30, 35 miles, they assume that that was 
probably a fucked up experience and you are just tougher than they could ever be. And I, I want to bring that kind of like as a sidebar into this conversation as well, that like, it's, you know, uh, the celebration and honestly fetishization of this suffering and pain, um, in, uh, in backpacking and in so many other outdoor sports, but also in like weightlifting and CrossFit, it's certainly there. Um, and like, I, I, I want to like dispel that and I want to talk about that. And I also just like want to say that like a lot of people who are doing really hard things are not necessarily in like the pain cave all the time. And I, and I think that's a really valid point. And it's something that we have talked about before. And I think, you know, separately, all three of us have talked about together. Um, <clears throat> that sentence made no sense, but you, you, you get where I'm going. Um, we, we have had conversations that, you know, if, if you watch the video of like a seasoned through hiker on YouTube and they're, they're, they're finishing like their third or fourth or fifth through hike and they're walking 30 plus miles a day, or you watch one of my videos and I'm walking 20 miles a day. It, it's, I guess it's hard for people who haven't experienced that to perceive, but like walking 20 miles a day for me personally in in the physical condition i'm in and in the you know with the amount of experience i have in the backcountry isn't really that big of a deal i understand that not everyone is me and so somebody watching me walk 20 miles a day might look at that and go oh my god that's awful why would you do that to yourself but that's a thing that i truly enjoy and that i'm pretty good at so i mean i can I can crank out a 20 mile day and not suffer and not be in a ton of pain. And so there's a perception there, I think that can end up being a barrier for new hikers and new adventurers to get out. You know, if you, if you watch somebody who's a, who's a seasoned for lack of a better term expert at a thing and what they're doing looks incredibly difficult through your eyes you might think, well, that's what backpacking is, or that's what free diving is, and I'm not there yet, so I can't do those things. And I and I think that that is a fallacy that needs to just have the final nail driven in its coffin, because backpacking is literally putting on a backpack and taking a walk in the woods. I don't care if that walk is a mile and a half or 2,500 miles, you're still doing the thing. Right. And there's something to be said about uh, the fact that you have done it for a long time. You grew up doing it. And um, trigger warning, I'm going to talk about calories. So the caloric burn of somebody who has been doing something for a long time and has gotten really good at it is dramatically lower, even when they're doing a much harder thing than a beginner who's doing the basic version of that expert's hard thing. And that's a really interesting thing, right? So like when you first start out your body's caloric burn to do half of what somebody who does more does is much, much more. And like the reason for that is that your brain is trying to figure out every little thing. It's problem solving. Your body's not used to it. The movement patterns aren't ingrained. You don't have the muscles built up to do that 20 mile walk or whatever it is. And this, this is like when it comes to playing chess, just as much as it comes to backpacking, just like in anything, whether it's brain and body or just body or just brain, like whatever it is, 
you you work your way up and your body gets more and more and more and more efficient at it. And so if you are somebody who has like never hiked and you're watching Jim's YouTube video and you're like, whoa, 20 miles, like I walked around the block and I was like, that was a little bit challenging. Like, yeah, absolutely. It was because you're not, you're not used to it yet. Right. So like the next time you take a walk and the next time you take a walk and the next time you take a hike, and then the next time you graduate to backpacking and like all of us know this, like it gets, it gets easier and it gets like literally physiologically easier as well. I think that, uh, there, there are a couple of points that I, I really enjoyed what you said, Holly. Uh, one of them was the, the fetishization of the suffering. And I think like you mentioned about CrossFit and weightlifting and backpacking or freediving, like that is very much an upfront presentation in the eye of the beholder. Uh, Jim got me into doing CrossFit and that was what I saw from the outside looking in was just like, what's wrong with all of these people? This looks absolutely <laughs> terrible. And for the first several months, I felt like I'd been hit by a car. And it was with a little bit of perspective that it took a while that I kind of came to understand, like my brain is adjusting to this, to the shock of it, my body is becoming more efficient. And that if you're having that hard a time all the time, you're doing it wrong. You're pushing too hard and you're going to burn yourself out or wear yourself out. And that we, we all just don't become starting offensive linemen in the NFL because we feel like it. The, the, that just doesn't happen for everybody for no, for no reason, you know? And with that, I think there, there's an aspect of a buffer zone where, as, as I mentioned, mine and Jim's interests have converged and diverged over the years. Uh, I know Jim is into the big miles and... I am less into it. However, um, I have done it with him and like, it, it's been enlightening to realize like, yeah, I can walk 25 miles. I'm not happy about it, but I didn't like spontaneously combust and I don't know <laughs> if it's repeatable effort, but it's, it's been kind of the accumulation of years of experience and training and kind of pushing the boundaries the same way you would do progressive overload for a one rep max. You, it just, you don't just try that willy nilly. There is a process to go after that. And the more experience one has with it, the, the more mentally tuned you can be to prepare yourself for it. Like this may or may not go well, but I can do this. And on the occasions where Jim and I have had to pull big miles, kind of maybe against our uh, plans or, or desires, it's not the end of the world. And so there, there's, there's a buffer there that I think is so lost in the eye of the beholder looking at a new activity where they, you might see a world-class alpinist or a professional weightlifter or, or like a competitive weightlifter and not understand their, their, buffer zone of what is truly the end of their effort versus what looks superhuman and awful to you. That may not be the worst thing. Absolutely. And like, there are tools that you can use to get better at things that are really hard. Um, and, uh, and one tool that I just wanted to offer up is, uh, is beginning and end 
are the two things that human brain remembers the most. Um, and so if you are somebody who's like, oh man, I really want to start doing 25 miles a day, but right now six mile hikes are kicking my butt. So you can start to add and create that bigger buffer because I love that terminology. You can you can create that. And one way that you can keep your brain wanting to come back, even though those things are really hard, is start off with something good and end with something good. Um, I am somebody who responds really well to uh, food. I'm basically just a puppy. Um, and uh, so like I have a tendency to be like, okay, like at the end of something really, really hard, I'm going to go you know, get a donut. I'm going to make sure that I pack something cool in the car that like, um, at the end of a really long trip, I go back to my car and like have a cooler filled with ice. And at the inside of it, I have like one water bottle that's really, really, really cold. And it's some sparkly water. And that like is the thing that makes me like, oh yeah. And then when I think back on it, the, the middle zone where things maybe were in, did drop into that suffering and maybe were really hard and were really uncomfortable. What I, uh, what I remember the most, uh, is, you know, the satisfaction of drinking that cold sparkly water at the end of that long dusty hike that was really challenging. Um, and, uh, and the thing that I did at the beginning, cause it's literally just brain psychology and it'll make your brain want to keep doing that hard thing again and again and again. And after a not that long, actually, like it goes by really fast. You find that you're weirdly good at the thing that you really wanted to be good at. Yeah. And I think, so I think it'd be fun to share some kind of anecdotal stories about adventures that went sideways. Um, and then kind of focus on, on maybe choices we made that, that dropped us into that pain cave, maybe unnecessarily. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes it's unavoidable. Like I've, I have been on trips where everything just went sideways and it was beyond my control, whether it was weather or whether it was like an, an unexpected creek swell or an unexpected downed tree or, or something that you have no control over that puts you into a different mindset or, you know, you have a, a different obstacle to overcome that you weren't prepared for. And sometimes those can take it out of you. Those can just drop you straight into the land of suck and there's nothing you can do about it. But for the most part, I think most of the trips, especially the trips Brian and I have taken together, because uh, as he's mentioned a couple times, our, our interests crisscross a little bit, but I feel like I, I'm pretty comfortable in saying he he went kind of more summits and 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 elevation gain happy, whereas I went more distance and long mile happy. Does that seem pretty accurate, Brian? Yeah. Um, and so occasionally, you know, I'll I'll plan a trip and I plan like my kind of trip where you're gonna crank out big miles, and while that's not Brian's wheelhouse, he's pretty good at it. And I think he's better at it than he gives himself credit for, <laughs> but it's not his favorite thing. When he plans a trip, it's, it's a Brian trip. So we're going to climb something big. And I have, have, I have learned the hard way that my buffer zone for summiting certain things is, is just quitting. And that's okay. Like I have to allow myself that space to go. I'm not 
in a position where I'm going to feel safe up there. And if I'm up there not safe, that means everyone below me and everybody above me is not safe anymore either because I shouldn't be here. Um, and so we've taken a couple of trips. Uh, Middle Palisade Springs to mind and two different trips uh, to Lassen in the winter spring to mind. Um, one of which in Lassen, Brian did summit and the other, neither one of us did. But just allowing myself that space to go, hey, man, I can't do this, but you should go. Like, you're still feeling good. You've got a good shot at summiting. Don't let me fuck that up for you, but I'm out. Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to give me an example? Um, you want to talk about the, the first Lassen trip a little bit? Sure. Okay. Um, so... I'll start and I'm going to let you finish it because you actually did finish it. Um, we hiked Lassen and I think it was in, was it like it was May? May? Yeah. So there was uh, Memorial Day one year. Memorial Day. Um, so there was still a significant amount of snow. And at the time, what's that? It was a high snow year. It was a very, yeah, I think it was like a 210% snow year or something crazy like that. It was wild. Um, I was still struggling from my fall on Tower Peak that we've talked about on a couple episodes of the podcast. And so we're, we're trudging up the snow and, you know, off, off to our right, there's these huge open crevasses and like, it, it just kept getting hotter and hotter and the snow kept getting softer and softer. And I kept feeling less and less safe. And we got up to this one point where there was like this patch of dirt, just this random patch of dirt in this field of snow. And I was like, I'm going to hang out there. You, you summit, you go ahead and finish. And then we'll go down, you know, we'll, we'll descend the mountain together again and go back to our campsite. And I remember sitting there in this little, this little kind of sunny patch of dirt, feeling pretty shitty about myself at the time. Like in the, the immediate reaction to giving up was to, to talk badly about myself and, and just to have a lot of like kind of negative self-talk. And then at some point it just hit me that had I continued on, not only would I be endangering myself, but I'd be endangering Brian and any of the other people who were trying to, to make the summit. And it just clicked all of a sudden with me that, that I made the absolute right choice. Okay, so I want to stop here and just talk about that for a second, because I think like the don't quit, never quit thing, it has its advantages, right? Like we should push into things that make us uncomfortable. We should uh, we should try to push on our boundaries so that we can, you know, grow and, and evolve as, as as people and as people who go out on adventures. But I think it's like never, ever quit unless you should quit is actually what the what the term should be because there are times when quitting is the right move and it sounds like you chose the right time to quit yeah i think so and it it really to me in that moment it came down to um at that at that particular time in my life and thankfully i've i've found a way to move past it and i don't have this same feeling anymore but at at that time, when we were trying to do that summit, just being on the snow gave me anxiety. 
And the longer that we stayed on the snow, the more anxiety I had to, to the point where I was borderline panic attack. So on the way in, um, we had to cross this big side hill and I was so sketched out by it. It was so steep and just so scary. And it was one of these situations where if I had lost my footing, it was, it was, it was a long way down and it wasn't necessarily like a situation, like I wasn't going to pitch off a cliff or anything like that, but there were definitely trees I was going to bounce off of. And then at the bottom, there was a, a, geologic anomaly, whatever you want to call it. There was a big Whoa. sulfur pit of bo- boiling water. At, and oh that my would God. Have been, yeah, because we're in Lassen. We're in Lassen <laughs> National Park. So at the bottom of this slide, if I had slid, if I had, if I had fallen and slid all the way down, I would have landed in this, this pool of like bubbling sulfur. Um, and, we were the second group to cross this little traverse. And so we sat back and we watched these two people cross country ski across it. And man, they had a hell of a time. They were struggling so hard. They were trying to carry. What's that? They abandoned their sleds. Yeah. So that, yeah. So they're dragging sleds behind them that had all their camping equipment in it. And they just, they gave up on the sleds and just, they, they, they left the sleds in the middle of the tra- traverse, got themselves across, and then created like this rope pulley system to get their sleds back by themselves. And so we're watching this whole thing play out. And it took, I don't know, 45 minutes to m- maybe an hour for, for these two people to cross this section. And it's not, we're not talking about a big check- section. We're talking maybe, maybe 500 yards. This was not like a huge chunk of the trip. It was, in the grand scheme of things, it was this short little obstacle. Um, but watching these two skiers try to cross it shook me to my core. And so when Brian and I stepped out, like after they had gotten out of the way and they'd gotten their sleds out of the way, I was, I was shaking. I was sweating profusely. Like my mouth was all like cotton mouthy. Like I was not doing well. And, and, thankfully having Brian by my side, talking me through it and literally like, like getting me across, I couldn't have done it by myself. He, he got me across. Um, that was all I was thinking about for the rest of the trip was fuck. I have to do that again to get back to the car. We have to do that same traverse again, the other direction. So as we're climbing up the, the face of uh, Mount Lassen in the back of my head, like I am not focused on the task at hand. I'm not focused on the fact that we're walking on unstable snow. I'm not focused on these crevasses that are opening up next to us or that had already been open before we got there. And that's where my brain should have been. Like I should have been focused in the moment on all these things that could go wrong right now. And I'm worried about what's going to happen on Sunday when we have to walk back out again. So for me, Tapping out, it, it was as much a decision to keep myself safe as it was to keep everyone else on the mountain safe. Yeah, but that's a perfect example of uh, 
you know, you hit the end of that buffer. And it's not that you hit it physically, it's that you hit it emotionally, right? Like you had an injury that you were coming back from and you recognized that like you were getting to the boundary, you pushed your boundary, you you did the traverse, but then you were like, that was the that was the boundary i crossed it and like i'm fucking done now so like what was the rest of the trip uh to the top like for you brian um well joe and i had the the conversation on the the dirt patch in the sun that he was tapping out and that that he was just like but you should still go uh i i was i had conflicting feelings about it because it's non-zero risk to split up your party just in general in an unexpected manner and then like knowing from just researching the route like okay well it's probably another hour and a half maybe you know it's not the end of the world how hard is it to get lost like i i have i'm pretty confident in the terrain ahead but like I don't know, this, this is prime time for something stupid to happen and for neither of us to be able to communicate. And so, uh, and, and I was bummed too, because like, I like hiking with Jim and we were so close. And so like, there was an aspect of selfishness where I was just like, yeah, but like, I could just zip right on up there. Like, it'll be a, it'll be a piece of cake and I'll come right back down and he won't even know I was gone, but like, I know, I knew that like, that's, that's, that's greed talking that that's ego, you know, like that's, that's not real. And so I, I, I kind of like, I, I've kind of stumbled around uh, in circles a little bit, trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do. And we, we reached the agreement that like, I'm going to, go up and I'll be back and Jim's going to hang out, have a snack and just like wait for me to come back and we'll descend together. And so I set out and I was moving uncomfortably fast because there was this compulsion to like, well, I need to get this done. I need to get back. Like this, the sooner I can get this over with the better. And at that level of exertion and the level of training I was at, I, I think I maybe made it half a mile before I was just like, that's not going to work. <laughs> it, the, the snow was soft and walking in crampons and then like there were patches of ice. And so just like the occasional, like, holy crap, I got to pay attention. This is, this is not just like turn on the wheels and put your head down and, and grind. It's like, pay attention, look where you're going, plan your route, pick a line. And I ended up making it to the top and talking to a couple other people up there, but tried to make it quick because there, there is someone waiting and I, I, I need to get back there because like, I, I don't feel right being here by myself at, at that time. That was the first experience with like, being solo in an environment like that. And uh, I, I kind of, I didn't, I guess, take it all in in the capacity that I otherwise would have had the the headspace have been different. And so took the pictures, chatted with a couple of folks, and then booked it to get out of there. And thankfully the snow was soft. And so I got to plunge step the, on the way back down. And so I made great time coming down. 
And I think when I got back to the, the dirt patch in the sun, I downplayed how hard I was pushing it to make that as quick as possible because I didn't want to hurt Jim's feelings and I didn't want to, I didn't want to intrude on what is a very valid thought process to what's happening. And I don't want it. I didn't want there to be any aspect of like, well, yeah, I just blitzed up to the summit and like, it was a piece of cake and blah, 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 blah. Like I didn't want to present that either because it was hard and I was moving faster than was appropriate. And thereby like exposing myself to unnecessary risk with all it takes is one bad step before I got half my crampons in my calf and just it, it didn't fully sink in until we were all the way down and off the mountain that I was pushing it kind of out of guilt, out of embarrassment, out of like, out of concern for my friend too, because like I just left him and he is, he is not, he's not doing okay. And, and like, how rude, you know, like there was, there was an aspect of, of shame to that. And there, there was just, there was so much going on. And in the process, I, I guess all told, I didn't really have a very good time because I was moving too fast and felt like shit while doing it. And then got to the summit and was just like, okay, well this, okay, I did it. I can check the box. It's time to go. And I, I get to feel like shit again. And I think all of that was, I mean, Jim and I have talked at length, but a lot of that was my own problem. I, I suffered unnecessarily and likewise, Jim had the foresight to realize that he's done feeling that way. So I'm going to chill out. And I, I think I would have made different choices if, if this happened now, as opposed to then. What was really wild about that was like the second I decided to stop, almost all my anxiety vanished. It was just like the second I was like, okay, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to hang out here. However long it takes Brian to get to the top. I ended up taking like a nap. I found a little, um, there was like a pine tree that was kind of shading a little chunk of the, of the dirt patch. So I fell asleep for like 15 or 20 minutes. Um, but like the second I stopped, I felt immediately better. And I was stoked that Brian was going to keep going because I would have felt guilty had he not summited because of me. So um, my uh, my partner is the person that I go on most of my adventures with is something we've referenced before. Uh, you go often with Brian and I also often go with Brian, um, but they're just different Brian's. Um, and, uh, and just for reference of names, my brother's name is Sean and um, uh, we have a thing called the Sean rule. We were uh, racing, racing shifter carts, which is another thing my family does, um, one day. And, uh, my dad was really upset and like everything had just become like super duper not fun. And, uh, and I was like, I think I'm going to go. And my brother was like, yeah, I mean, this is what we do in our off time. It's not our job. We get to just not, if we're not having fun, you can just not. And, uh, and like, it just became this thing where we're like, okay, you can just not, if it's the Sean rule, like if you're not having fun anymore, 
just stop. And, uh, and like, I, I use that, I use that very strongly across the board because I am somebody who will just keep pushing into it and into it and into it. Like I am somebody who, if I was at that dirt patch, I would look at it and go, I could quit. Or I could just continue to quietly have a fucking panic attack back here and just not say anything and just everything is fine. Um, and so like, I wanted to take a second uh, and ask you guys, you know, where does type one, type two, and type three fun start and end for you? Because I think this is a funny thing, <laughs> right? Cause like your bandwidth is much bigger than um, a lot of people think. And that's part of it, right? Like some people think you're having a shit time and actually you're having a great time. It just kind of looks like shit. So I think for me, at least the goalpost for type two and type three has moved pretty dramatically over the years. Um, and I feel like this is a perfect segue to go into talking about the first time Brian and I tried to summit Tower Peak. We were hilariously unprepared in, in every capacity. We, we were not physically prepared for how difficult this hike was. We were not mentally prepared for how difficult this hike was. We didn't have really like the right gear. We hadn't done the proper research and this is one of those situations where we put ourselves in the pain cave and it was completely avoidable. So we've, we've Wait, talked about wanna, tower. Do you want to break down one, two and three really quick before we jump into tower peak, which is also middle palisades, correct? No middle palisade and tower are completely different. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And, cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to break it down within the story, if that's cool. The way this breaks down, I think. So Brian, Brian presented me the idea of summiting Tower Peak. He, he had just through research on the internet and looking at maps and stuff like that, he had found this cool little summit that's uh, this really remote part of uh, kind of right in between Yosemite and the Hoover Wilderness. And it's this gnarly hike in and on paper it looked totally doable. And so I'm just like, yeah, you know what? Let's do this. This sounds great. This sounds like it'll be a cool trip. And I mean, we, we got out there and it like, it was so hard. It was, the train, <laughs> it was so we started the trip out in, in this gorgeous meadow and, you know, we're, we're seeing other day hikers and stuff like that. And we're kind of telling everybody what our plan is as we go along. And literally everyone looked at us like we had 12 heads and like, you're doing that t t today. And like the first time somebody did it, we're just like, oh, ha, 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 ha. And we're still like very much in type one fun. We're like, we're, we're out on a beautiful trail. We're seeing wildflowers. It's a gorgeous sunny day. Everything's amazing. And we're just like, this is great. And then we run into some other hikers a little further in. And like, oh, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're going to summit, you know, uh, Tower Peak. T today? <laughs> and, and by like the fifth or sixth time somebody said that to me like my meter dipped into type two because now we've walked i, I want to call it 12 miles at this point and that's the most either of his had hiked in one shot to this point 
And so now we, we've kind of crossed this big barrier where it's just like, okay, so this is officially the biggest trip we've done. And we get to, uh, we get to the Walker river and it's this waist deep, like fast moving. Like it's a, it's a river river. Like a lot of the times in the back country, something on the map will be labeled a river, but it's probably more of a Creek. The Walker was a river and <laughs> your dog is growling. Um, <laughs> um, and we have to cross this thing. And so I think for me, once we had to cross the waist deep river, that was kind of where I was pretty solidly in type two. Where, how about you, Brian? Where were you at when we saw the river? Um, I was pretty hammered physically. Uh, just we were under trained for the objective and it was becoming less enjoyable the more it occurred to me how much further we still had to go and what time of day it was and just a, a sort of a map-based understanding of where we were and where we were trying to get and what i felt like already and then seeing the river it was just kind of like I don't know what is on the other side of this. If, if it's harder than what we've been doing, like I'm, I'm not sure. I started really having doubts and doubt, doubt can be an absolute monster. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was justified, especially when, once we saw what was on the other side of the river. Um, and this is, I think, this is to me anyway. This is where where type two fun sort of starts. It's where where my body's hurting. I'm I'm questioning my choices, but I'm still enjoying. I'm enjoying the space that I'm in, but I'm not necessarily enjoying what I'm doing. Not having a good time. <laughs> yeah, but, but we're still in this amazing place, and I think this is something that Brian and I have learned over the years: is that when you're hiking with a partner or adventuring with a partner, regardless of what the adventure is, communication is key because neither one of us communicated how we were feeling at this point and where we were on, on the other side of the river, on the, on the, our car side of the river was a great campsite. Like we could have just camped there and been like, you know what? We didn't make it. That's fine. Let's just camp here and have a, and have a nice night. But we pushed on and we crossed through the waist deep water and then we've crawled into because so, so Brian and I have been out at Tower Peak four times now, so we've kind of nicknamed all the different areas. And um, so once you once you cross over the Walker River, you're in what the map considers Paiute Meadows. Uh, Paiute Meadows leads into what Brian and I have affectionately nicknamed the Haunted Forest. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's just it it. If you saw it, you immediately, it's just full of like dead trees and tree falls and it's dark and it's a little creepy. And the way the trail weaves through the trees, like you can't see what, what's around the next turn. Like you're, you're cruising along on this switchback and you know, a lot of times when you're out on a trail like this, you can just kind of look up the hill and you go, oh, I can see the switchbacks and where they go. In this section of this forest, you can't see what's coming next until you pop around the turn. 
So there is this kind of sense of apprehension, like, is there a family of bears around the next turn? Is there, you know, a pack of coyotes? Like, what, what what's happening next? And then the Haunted Forest leads into Fuck You Canyon. And that <laughs> is just... <laughs> We, we have invented new curses every time we've hiked this canyon. It goes straight up. Just no switchbacks, nothing. Just straight up. There's like a cliff face to the, the one side that goes down into a ravine. And then there's just more haunted forest above you. And then it'll flatten out for a little bit. So you get like this tiny bit of relief. But then it's just short enough of a flat spot that... When you start uphill again, it's like the flat spot never even happened. Like, I almost would rather it stayed steep the entire time. (laughs) And then it drops like 400 feet and you do the whole thing again. Amazing. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, So we got to... Fuck you, Canyon. Fuck you, Canyon. Um, We got to what we decided was going to be a campsite. What what was that? Slab City. Slab City. Um, So Slab City is this kind of flat spot, which is in the shadow of the Watchtower. And the Watchtower is kind of the precursor to Tower Peak. And it's the Watchtower in and of of itself is this massive, intimidating chunk of granite. And Slab City is this little flat spot that sits directly in the shadow and off to either side are the creeks that run down and then they become one Creek and then they become the Walker river. And so we decided, you know what, we're going to just, we're going to camp here and then we'll, we'll try for the summit in the morning. And, uh, I'm going to actually let Brian finish this part because he tells it better. (laughs) Um, we just, I think we, like Jim had mentioned, we weren't really communicating to each other, how just absolutely worked we both were. And I, I think there's an aspect of like weird machismo and, and to use your phrase from the beginning of this, like fetishization of the, of the suffering where like I, both of us are, are, we are learning. We are in the process of learning. This is a really good, like formative trip. And I don't think either of us wanted to admit the edge of our comfort level or the edge of our understanding or to, to admit like we are four miles past where we should have stopped. And, and so we, we set up our camp and you sit down and we started boiling water and I was waiting for my pad thai to heat up and I fell asleep. <laughs> uh-huh. And I, I had my pad thai sitting in my coat, and um, there, there's a to, to I guess to to back up and provide some uh, some context, and especially with your question about type one, type two, and type three fun. When we had crossed the Walker River, and both of us were squarely in type two, just like you know, this kind of sucks, and I would like this to end sooner rather than later. Maybe it will get better, but like, you know, let's keep pushing because it's like, it's still, it's not bad. It's just, it's not fun. I'm not having a good time, but you know, it's not killing me. So we'll see what happens. 
and uh, it actually started raining, and there's a little cabin in Paiute Meadow, and we we hung out and hid from the rain for a little bit, and the rain quickly turned to hail, and then the hail turned to lightning, and we saw a lightning strike at the other end of Paiute Meadow that started a fire, and there was this consideration of just like, both of us are completely kicked in, tired, but too proud to admit it to the other person because we we are not even really sure what's quite, what what's happening. Just like, this is, this is intense. And the notion that there's a fire and there's wind and lightning and rain gets into like, that's where type three starts happening, where do you die in a forest fire? Are you unable to cross the river again after that much precipitation comes down? Do we? What do we do? Do we have to wait? And and we got lucky. The rain put out the fire, and we just we went out through the haunted forest and we made it to Slab City and just like it was like nothing happened. And then falling asleep while heating up my dinner, it it became quickly apparent we have pushed past an acceptable margin because I think it was dawning on both of us that we are not going to just like zip on up to the summit tomorrow because we have to walk the entire distance back. Also, we have to do what we just did again. We are not adding a summit to this. And I think both of us just kind of like realized we're in over our heads a little bit. We're, we are not ready physically. We didn't start early enough. We didn't move fast enough. Our bags are too heavy. Just at least now we know the way, but we got to try again because this ain't it. And neither of us was having fun. And we ate and then we went to bed. And then in the morning, there was this kind of just like, well, shit, I guess we'll go back. Let's do that again. And now we know exactly what it is. <laughs> and I, there, there, there's like a, there's a grace in sort of not knowing what to expect, but there, it's pretty cruel when you're just like, well, yesterday sucked. I guess we got to do it again. <laughs> okay. That was like, you're right, Jim. That was the most amazing segue ever. Because... And I just want to start with this. So uh, for those who are unfamiliar, um, type one, type two, and type three fun is like a pretty commonly used thing um, uh, in terms of like uh, adventure things, in terms of like things that have discomfort, right? Um, because there is there is a certain amount of fun in, in hard things and you get better, as we mentioned earlier, at, at doing those hard things and having fun doing them. Um, but just the fact, Jim, that like you start off and you're like, okay, so we're hiking. That's type one. So right there is type two for most people. So like the wildflowers and the beautiful scenery and all that, we've already pushed into type two for most folks. But for you, we're like just starting in on type one. Like we're essentially sitting at a movie theater, we're eating popcorn, we're chilling, <laughs> right? Like that's what you, your type one is. And so like, this is a really important way to gauge for yourself, right? Like, okay, am I having type one fun right now? Like, 
fuck yeah, I'm stopping. I'm taking way too many pictures of bees and flowers. That's just me. Um, and you, you've been posting some cool pictures of bees and flowers. Um, but like, you know, okay. Is this type two? Type two for me means, well, I do wish this was easier, but this is definitely not stopping territory. And once I start to get to the upper levels of type three, it's like, uh, there's definitely some physical discomfort. There's usually emotional or, uh, mental discomfort. Um, there is often, uh, an external element, um, hail, uh, wind, rain, fire, those guys count as externals. Um, and you can check in with yourself and be like, is this type two or am I starting to really, really, really dig into type three? And if you're starting to really, really dig into type three, and especially if you're not a really experienced person, that might be, uh, that might be a good moment to just, uh, just like, pause and check in with yourself. Like, is this uh do I need to quit and move back to where I came from? Um, do I need to change my path? Where am I at? And also like, I just need to stop this really important conversation to say that Brian behind your head on the bookshelf is the creepiest fucking doll. Oh yeah. That's just him. Okay, all right, so it's a labyrinth situation. No, Star Wars. Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars. Okay, yeah. Job, Job of the Hutt's little frog-eating pet. Okay, I was like, I know that dude from somewhere. Um, okay, all right, that's that's more helpful when it gets closer to the camera. I was just like, do you have, like, is that real? Is that just a scary demon that I'm just seeing on the Zoom? <laughs> One of my cats is afraid of him. That's awesome. I blame them! So, I, I think... This trip is a perfect illustration of self-induced pain cave because we, we made poor decisions and looking back on it now, you know, they always say hindsight's twenty twenty. I I can recognize now the number one poor decision we made was we didn't communicate with each other how we were feeling. And I think in any backcountry situation, that's not just a matter of, of, saving the trip and keeping the trip fun, but that's a matter of personal safety. If, if you let your ego take over and you push yourself beyond so far beyond your comfort zone that you, you might even push yourself into a, maybe we need to get rescued type situation and doing that, you know, just, just choosing not to communicate like, Hey, I'm, I'm kicked in, I'm done. I need to tap out. You're not just putting yourself in danger. You're now putting your adventure partner in danger too. There, that there's, it's good that you mentioned that. One of the things that has occurred after the fact to me was that I think by the time both of us were waiting out the hailstorm and the lightning and the fire, uh, had that fire not have been put out and had it have moved faster than we expected, neither of us was in a position to do much about it. And I think we got pretty lucky with just the circumstances with the weather, but because we hadn't been communicating with each other about how we were feeling, if it became a matter of like, we need to go right now and we can't go back the way we came, we need to go east, we need to go south. We, we just like, we have to get away from this new immediate threat. We need to go fast. Neither of us was in a position to even do that. And oh yeah, not a chance. 
the the exposure to objective hazard in that context was our fault because we had put the we had closed the gap so much that we had no other buffer. We were we could not have gotten away, I don't think. And we just I, got I, Yeah, no, I agree completely. And I think that that is if if you walk away with one thing listening to this episode of the podcast, if you're a new hiker, if you're an experienced hiker, if you're a more experienced hiker than any of us, um, exposing yourself to the, these, these kinds of hazards, forest fires, flooding, you know, uh, massive snowstorms. I've, I've been caught off guard myself. Uh, my last TRT trip ended because on one day I was expecting rain and I got eight inches of snow instead. And if you push yourself so far that, that there's nothing left in the tank and you encounter one of these unexpected hazards, like that, that is so dangerous and so life threatening and it's so completely avoidable I think most of the time and absolutely when Brian and I found ourselves in this situation, it is completely driven by ego. That's really interesting. And like, I think that that's a really important point and I'm so glad that you made it. Like you need to be able to get home. You always need to be able to get home. And so like you need to understand uh, how much bandwidth you have. And I gamify everything. And so I think of myself as having like a little health bar and I'll try to check in with that health bar. And like you kept drilling communication, right? And communication is absolutely vital when you are in any um, adventure situation with a partner, but it's also totally vital with yourself. You need to keep communicating with yourself and checking in with yourself. Like, where is my health bar? Because like, if you're just going and going and going and you're not checking in and you have a quarter of a health bar left and you have uh, still a, ha a half of half of your trip to go, that's going to be a really, really bad situation. And, you know, that is something that you build up in the process of creating more of a buffer in the process of getting better at the thing that you're trying to get better at. Um, and so you might not totally fully understand that now. And that's why people recommend doing shorter things first, because that's when you understand, right? Like you get back to the car and you go, oh man, oh, I could have stayed out there longer. And that's good. That's really, really good. Because now you know that you have more bandwidth and next time you can stay out longer and you can do it safely because you'll keep checking in and you'll be like, oh yeah, I got plenty in the tank. Cause like, it might not happen this trip. It might not happen next trip, but you never know when that fire is going to happen. You never know when, uh, you know, something is going to come up that's going to make it much harder to get back home. And you want to give yourself the biggest fighting chance to do that. One of the points you touched on was just the, the communicating with yourself. And, and I think that is so, so valuable. And it's weird because I'm great at checking in with myself. I'm, I'm great at, at assessing my, my condition at any given time and deciding, okay, I need to look for a campsite or, or maybe I just need to tap out or I need to stop and take a nap, you know, for 45 minutes or whatever, or I need to sit down and drink a liter of water. I am so good at that when I'm on solo hikes. 
when I'm out with other people, for some reason that switch turns itself down. So if, you know, if I'm out on a solo hike, that, that is cranked up to 10 where I'm just like, yo, how am I feeling? What am I doing? Am I thirsty? Am I hungry? Do I need a nap? When I'm out with other people, I'm just like, we're going to walk until we die. This is fascinating because I am the exact opposite. So in, in our hikes together, especially after the first tower trip where we were just hilariously underprepared. Um, and then the second attempt where we got really close and it was way too windy. And then the third attempt with a successful summit and then like the, the very scary fall and aftermath of all of that, like as a result of, of those experiences, you and I tend to communicate very, fairly well. And, and it has been a process. It wasn't just a switch that got flipped and it's, it's a continuing conversation that we, we have. Like I would, I would probably say every three or four times that we end up having an extended conversation, there is an aspect of this that we address and we're, we continue to peel away layers at it as we both mature with our perspective on the incidents as well. And so when we're hiking together, there's, from my perspective, a, a great deal of like, how you feeling? Hey, let's go to the top of this, this little edge. Or like, hey, let's go, let's have a snack at that flat spot when we get there. Or like, hey, what do you say about we cross this creek and then we have some water? Like, I'm very much of the mind that we do that really well together now. And, and it, it has taken some time to get there. But when I'm by myself, and most noticeably or most explicitly on Middle Palisade, when we parted ways, um, there was an aspect of like, I'm tired. The elevation's hitting me. I'm hungry. It's hot. And like, I, I just, from knowing my own brain, I'm just kind of like, no, no, no. I know that guy. He's playing tricks on me because he's a quitter. And so I will push and push and push. And it becomes this like this battle of like these two people in my brain going, one of you is a, a, a complete slack dick and I'm not going to let you win. And that has caused its own problems. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I find this super interesting because I am the, I'm the opposite of that. Like I am so much tougher when I'm with other people if I am solo, I'm so much more likely to be like, man, I don't, this sucks. I'm out. That like threshold is so much earlier if I'm alone than when I'm with people. Um, because apparently I, I think maybe I need a stronger Brian voice in my head being like, don't be the slack dick who quits. Cause I'm like, man, there's like, there's some really cold sparkly water in my car. <laughs> It's not without its problems, though, and it's something that I've talked to Jim about at length because um, just we, we have a local mountain in town, Mount Rose, and there are a couple of different routes up it, and Jim and I have done it in all weather. We've done it in god-awful summer heat. We've done it in, like, snowing sideways in the wintertime, and we've done it the long way. We've done it the easy way, and when I've gone and, and just like quote unquote put in a lap on the mountain, there are days when I start where I don't get two miles down the trail before that little voice in my head is just like, well, you, you drank too much beer last night or, you know, like 
how late are we really going to be out here? And we got to go grocery shopping and then you want to cook dinner and you got to do laundry. And so like, maybe we should just pack it in. And in those circumstances by myself, especially if I, if I have a goal in mind, like I'm putting in a lap because I'm training for something else or like, Hey, I need to do this because I'm going to work on my crampon skills or, or whatever, or I want to see if I can keep up a sustained pace for a solid hour, no stopping. And I want to see what my recovery is like when I do stop and how long does it take before I'm back to a good, decent resting heart rate. Is that four minutes? Is it 12 minutes? Like, I, I, I approach things with some sort of weird analytical empirical perspective. And when that little voice starts, I'm just like, no, 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 don't listen to that guy. He cheats. He just wants you to quit. And it's, it is a struggle because that starts happening. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hip to your game. I know what you're doing. And pushing past that has come with a cost on occasion where on, I mean, going to Middle Palisade, for example, was, as Jim and I have discussed amongst ourselves, like, too big of a step. It was too big of an escalation. It was, like, trying for a new max, and instead of, like, trying for a new max by five pounds, trying for a new max by 30 pounds. Right, it's, right, right, right. It's it's illogical. It was It was too big of a step. And on the one hand, you feel so good when you do something when you're just like i did more than i even thought i was capable of but it is not with no risk and after middle palisade especially when we parted ways and i went to the top and was coming down there was a point when i was descending the route where i was ready to get off the ride it's been it's too exposed it's getting late i'm tired and I still have to go down this chute. And then I have to cross the hardest part. The crux is at the very beginning of the route. And so I have to go through the hardest part at the very end of the rock. And then I have to cross the glacier. And then I have to cross the moraine. And then I have to walk back to camp. And then I have to cross the river. You know, just like the, I'm so ready for this to be over, but I can't stop. Like, the, 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 the gnawing voice in my brain going, I told you this was going to happen. We should have quit before we started. Like there's an aspect of like, oh shit, he's right. And as validating as it was to get to the end of that hike and get back into camp and see Jim, I made the wrong choice. And I, I put, I pushed too hard and pushed too much and you know, all it, all it would take is one little flick of the circumstances for that to have led to a fall or to being crossing the, the moraine in the dark or, you know, like getting back to camp and being sick or just, I, it, it's such a narrow thing to, to push back, to push past the slacker in my brain. Because if I just, I'm like, yeah, yeah, this guy lies and I'll just keep going. It, he's not always wrong. <laughs> I, I find that so. I find that so interesting. So my my inner monologue when I'm solo is not a slacker. It's a schemer, and my inner voice is always trying to figure out the most effective way to get me to the end. 
And sometimes that's a 45 minute nap in the middle of the day. Sometimes that's walking slower than I normally would. Sometimes that's walking the extra two miles in the dark with my headlamp to get to a better campsite. But my, my, my little voice inside my head is like, no, man, we got this, but we have to be smart about it. We have to, we have to strategize. And so when I'm out, especially when I'm out with you and especially when we're in places like, like middle Palisade, um, and a little background for everybody listening. If you didn't listen to the episode where I talked about this hike extensively, um, I knew before we picked up our permit that I was in over my head going out to middle Palisade, but I wanted to try it anyway. And as we were crossing the moraine from our campsite and heading towards the first chunk of the glacier, I had decided because there were two routes that you could summit middle Palisade. Uh, there's the red rock route. And then there's this other kind of glacier route. And the red rock is the thing Brian was talking about where it's the hardest part. And so on your way up, the hardest part is the first thing. And on your way down, the hardest part is the last thing. Um, I had decided that if this glacier route was not accessible, that I wasn't going to go. And just by dumb luck, just by happenstance, a, a very talented group of climbers came up right behind us. And so I tapped out and Brian got to tag along with this group of really experienced climbers. And I felt really good about my decision at that point. Like if, if those other people hadn't come, I may have tried to have talked Brian out of it, but I felt confident because he was with someone who, who guides people up this shoot for a living. Um, and it just dumb luck. This guy happened to be out there with his friends. It wasn't even like a paid, he wasn't working or anything. He was just doing it for fun and he invited Brian along. And I was like, cool, he's safe. He's with people that know what they're doing. If I go up into that shoot, every single person in that shoot is at a higher risk because if I fall on someone or if I take a bad step and knock a rock down on someone, or if I fall and they have to try to attempt to rescue me, all of a sudden, everybody's in danger. So I felt really good about my choice in that moment, especially because we were lucky enough to have met this other group of hikers. Um, and like I said, if if those people weren't there, I was going to try to talk Brian out of it. And it's interesting to hear you say that you made the wrong choice. Um I, I remember how tired you were when you got back to camp. Like he literally, he laid down on a rock outside of his tent and started his nap and then, and then kind of slid out of his pack and slid into his tent and went to sleep and woke up. I think it was at like midnight or later and cooked his dinner. So, I mean, that yes. trip, e even though he was successful and he summited that, that trip was physically and mentally draining I, th I think in every respect yeah and to kind of bring this whole topic full circle um it, it's something that jim and i have talked about kind of just as friends and what we've i think after that trip and uh the last year has been a little gnarly where i, I kind of didn't hike for a little bit due to some family stuff and kind of revisiting it and, and kind of like a little shell-shocked from how gnarly and unexpectedly gnarly that the Middle Palisade was for, for my level of knowledge and skill and physical preparedness. Um, 
it's it's an aspect where the suffering I, I think so much of us through our, our media consumption and just like you said, the fetishization of the suffering, like it, it really counts if you give it everything. Like if you didn't bleed for it, did it really matter, you know? Like that that is the wrong approach. That it's it's just it's a toxic and diseased way of thinking of things and when I say that my inner monologue sitting there being like, you know, you could be uh, eating cheese and drinking beer right now. <laughs> like it, it's fun to poke, to, to make fun of it, but like it, it's an oversimplification of things because there is an aspect where I'm just like, no, I can do this. I'm going to do this. And it's going to be glorious because it's going to take everything that I have. And that's flawed reasoning. And as I've sat with this for the last year and realizing that like, yes, I went and did it and I, I got, I, I did learn stuff from the guide and the other climbers that I was with, um, that the suffering is unnecessary. And had we have tried that trip in the future, if I was more physically prepared or we got an earlier start or we crossed the glacier faster or both Jim and I had more effectively communicated about the route we were going to take and what it was going to entail, the suffering wouldn't have happened. And in like, it is ultimately unnecessary. And so as much as I, I joke about the, the inner monologue is a liar and he's a quitter and I know his game and I'm just not going to listen to him. Um, that that's, that's a me problem. That's, that's an aspect of conditioned fetishization of suffering. Like, you have to, it has to hurt for it to count. And like that, that's wrong. And that, that trip is a perfect illustration of that. Whereas like that I am proud of being able to do what I did, but the mechanism by which it was accomplished is complicated. And I, and I struggle with that. It, it was not, it was not hiking in good form. It was not, it was not moving in, in, it was not moving well, you know, moving in style. It was, it was kind of flailing and it was a, it was a blunt instrument for the job. I, I outlasted the, the process and like the suffering doesn't need to happen. Okay. That was like the most amazing wrap up ever. And I, I have two more points that I want to just sort of like tack onto at the end, if that feels okay. And, and one of them is uh, fear versus gut. And uh, I've done so many things I felt afraid of, but in my gut, I felt okay with. And I've done so many things that my gut told me was not good, and then it wasn't good, and I shouldn't have done it. And that gut versus fear is a developed tool that we build within ourselves, right? Like, you kind of have to get those near misses where you have to go a little too far and push a little too deep and then be like, that wasn't that was that was too much. I shouldn't have done that. And then you know where those where those lines are. And and like Jim, like you, your gut told you that this is too much, but you did it anyways. And so it's like an interesting thing where like where does fear become truth? And in my experience, first of all, the more experience you have, and I, I feel like bad saying that. The more experience you have, the better you are at trusting your gut. Um, but my experience is that you know, 
and you you know when you're deceiving yourself and like you can look back and you know when you were deceiving yourself do you guys feel like that's generally true oh yeah absolutely, absolutely. um one quick thing to add on to that um and and to, and to kind of circle back to what the point we were trying to illustrate just by telling these kind of anecdotal horror stories um a lot of the times when you're adventuring, your your choices dictate how much fun you're going to have. And if, especially as a beginner hiker, but I think across the board for everybody from, from the casual day hiker to, to the through hiker who is on their fifth or sixth 2,000 mile trail or whatever, um... You, you don't have to land in the pain cave and, and choices that you make can keep you out of it. And it, it's, it's this weird thing where, you know, there, there's a bunch of YouTubers I watch who are getting really, 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 really good at filming the bad days too, because I, I think a lot of social media influencers just show all the awesome stuff. And so if you if you were to watch, you know, one of their through hikes from start to finish, you know, across 10 or 11 episodes on their channel or whatever, you're just like, oh, man, hiking the PCT super easy. Like every day he just had a blast. Everything was super fun. Everything was great. Everything was amazing. This was awesome. Um, and I think that's a really dangerous thing for for a new hiker to consume. And there's a lot of people now who are getting really, really good at. Hey, today sucked. And these are the choices I made that made today suck. So, you know, there's a there's a YouTuber I'm following on he's on the PCT right now. Um, I try not to plug too many people, but I'm gonna plug this guy because he, I really enjoy his content, especially as it relates to the PCT. His channel's called Kyle Hates Hiking. <laughs> okay. And he has a recurring issue with the side of one of his feet where it just, it just gets super, super painful, like to the point where when it first occurred, he thought his foot was broken. And it's just been this recurring thing that comes up all the time. And I feel like a lot of social media influencers would hide that. You know, they're like, oh, well, today was 20 miles. Today was 35 miles. Today was awesome. Today was great. Today was amazing. And Kyle's like, I walked six miles today and my foot hurts and I want to quit. Right. And I think that is so valuable because he's he's hiked the Appalachian Trail, he's hiked a couple of other long trails, and now he's doing the PCT. And so this is a this is a guy who is so experienced and and has walked these big, huge, crazy miles and finished these just amazing trails and he has all these accomplishments under his belt. And to watch him nearly in tears talk about wanting to quit. That to me is what is the most important thing that an outdoor influencer can show because it, it's such a dangerous thing for a new hiker. And I fell into this trap when I first started getting into backpacking, I followed a lot of these accounts and I was just like, Oh, well it's easy. You just go out and you walk and it's easy. And my first attempt at a through hike was such an eye opening experience because it is not easy. I don't care how experienced you are. I don't care how fit you are. I don't care how mentally prepared you are. You're going to have days where you want to quit. 
You're going to have days where your entire body hurts. You're going to have days where everything just sucks. And I think it's so valuable for experienced adventurers to show that side of the trip. And I, I do think, and we, we end up talking about social media influencers a lot on, on this podcast, but I, I think that there's a real danger to new people to see someone who just has nothing but good days. Yeah. And like, I think it is, I think it's important on both sides, right? So like, I try to think of adventure things as uh, a macro and um, they're kind of like, when you look at it on a macro, it's kind of like a really good uh, short story, right? And so there's highs, there's lows, but overall you want it to be a really good story each and every time. Sometimes you don't get that. Some trips just fucking suck and everything goes wrong and everything hurts and lots of stuff happens that you didn't expect and it's a disaster and you lick your wounds and you figure out what you can do better next time and whatever else. But like in general, you should look back on the vast majority of adventures that you go on and be like, that, that was a good time, you know? And then you, you get to this point where you become an insane person like me, where you're like, man, remember that time that I was, you could hear the squishing in my boots because it was literally just full of blood. That was, that was a thing. That was a thing, but the views from the top worth it. And like, you know, everyone's got their like level that is fine for me. And some people that would be a go home moment and that's okay. Um, but like, I wanted to speak really quickly to, uh, to one tool that I use when I get into a situation where, um, I am like, oh man, I am so ready for this ride to be over. And I am so far past where I should be to be as far from my car home safe place as I would like to be. Um, and that is, uh, that is uh, why versus what or why versus how. And so like, sometimes you can be like, I'm going to the top. It's going to be really, I'm just using a summit as an example, but like, I'm going to the top. It's going to be awesome. And you're thinking about that top and you're thinking about the trip so far and how things are going and whatever else. And that's great. And that's driving you forward and that's inspiring you forward. Right. And then sometimes you get into a moment where you're like, I, I need to get back. And it's important that I don't hurt myself in the meantime. And that's when you start to like, have to dig into uh, the what or the how, and that's when you need to make sure you are paying attention to where your feet go um, to what you're doing with your body so that you're not hurting yourself, that you're paying attention to your surroundings so that you stay safe. Because as we get tired or we, we are more and more likely to, uh, to get injured. And, um, and so I think that that's like a, that's a good toggle switch to switch between like, when do I get to like, think about, you know, why I'm here and think about my life and be inspired and be excited and be pumped for what's coming. And, and when do I need to make sure that like, I'm really aware of, uh, of what the trail is doing in front of me. Sure. That it's good that you mentioned that Jim and I refer to it as stupid feet. We can kind of both <laughs> tell when, when one or both of us is ready for a snack and a break or, or maybe even an extended break, because just so you watch you, you, you it's unavoidable to see how you're both moving and, one or both of us at one point or another may start kind of stumbling around or slipping or sliding or just not really moving well. And that's usually the precursor to the bonk or 
it's it's been too long since we last had any water or it's too hot or it's been too steep for too long or we're we're, we're outputting more than we expected and we we have gotten better at communicating and we we had one trip on mount rose where i think we made it three quarters of a mile and there was a lot of new snow and both of us looked out over this kind of this big bowl on the east side of tamarack peak and we're just kind of like man the avalanche report says it's fine but like i don't know man the snow's giving me the willies and, and just like i don't know I don't know. I don't like it. It doesn't feel right. And we ended up. That's your gut. Yeah. And and we ended up going home and there's an aspect of just like, okay, I got all my crap out. I got my snow gear on. We drove up here. We, we, we walked three quarters of a mile and then turned around and I got to go home and like take all this crap off and put it away. But that day there were three slides on Tamarack peak and just like there was, there was something about it where both of us were just kind of like, I don't know, man, this might be a, a shitty day. It's like, if we keep going, it's going to be hard. And we, are we, are we prepared to kind of go through this? And it's just not ideal conditions. And, you know, and both of us were just kind of like, Nope, we're out of here. And all told in, in the perspective that hindsight gives, that was a good trip because we both learned something. We, we both learned how to communicate with each other and trust each other. And like that, that's meaningful. Even though it was all, it was, it was a two and a half hour little learning experience, 10 minutes from my house, but it was a good trip. <laughs> yeah. And we both made it home alive, which I, I, at the end of the day, that's the main goal of any adventure. I think it's important to remember too. And this is kind of what I will close with. Um, everybody's buffer point is at a different place and that is absolutely okay. If your, if your buffer is, I just walked three miles and I'm done. Awesome. That's your buffer point. Stop. Don't push it because, because you saw me or Brian or Holly do more than three miles. If your buffer is three miles, that's, that's your trip and that's perfect. There's no shame in that. If your buffer is 10 miles or 12 miles or 20 miles, whatever your buffer is, if your buffer is, I heard thunder and I want to leave right now, that's great. Do that because there's no point in pushing yourself beyond where you feel that you can safely get home just to meet the standard of some stranger on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and check your ego and check in with yourself. Absolutely. And I, and I do, I do think that like, that like we all have differing inter, inner monologues. Like I don't trust the guy in my brain, but I, I listen to him more than I used to because your, your, your gut versus fear, it is meaningful. And through an accumulation of experiences, whether that's three miles or 30 miles, you start to learn the different dialects between gut and fear and what's real and what's not. And how, what is your risk tolerance? What is your pain tolerance? And like progressive overload or pushing things is the mechanism by which one can expand their capabilities, but in healthy doses, because 
if you if you can't listen to that voice or you just ignore it, you're not going to go anywhere. Right. It's just actually just unintelligent, actually. Um, and like and that's where the check your ego thing is. Right. Because if you're if you're if your boundary or your limit or your buffer, whatever you call it, like if that is three miles um, and a couple of trips, it's going to be eight miles and a couple of trips, it's going to be 10 miles. And if you keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, you're going to get there and you're going to get there and hopefully you'll get there injury free and alive. And you will have gone on some really cool short and getting longer trips in the meantime. So like, step up appropriately for you is a really good piece of advice when it comes to basically any adventure sport out there. Um, because man, are the consequences big and the experience is not great when you take too big of a step. And nobody wants to suffer. No, yeah. Nobody wants to suffer. Like nobody's looking, that's never the end goal, you know? And, and, and something Holly mentioned that I, I just touch on really briefly Progress is cumulative. So if 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 in May you can do a three mile hike, by June if you keep at it and you make smart decisions, you can do a six mile hike or an eight mile hike. And then by September you can do a ten mile hike or a twelve mile hike, because all that experience and and those right safe choices that that keep you coming home after every adventure they build up and build up and build up and build up. And, and that's how you grow in, in anything, whether it's weightlifting or backpacking or paddleboarding or free diving or drawing or painting or photography, literally anything you do in life, those little bits of experience followed by smart, safe choices are how you grow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Brian, is there anywhere where people can find you or interact with you? Or do you have the desire for that? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty antisocial with a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't add people that aren't my friends or that I don't know in person. Um, my social media use is relegated to for personal enjoyment and I, I recognize that it is different for different people, but that's just kind of the choice for my own personal sanity. But I play drums in a band with Jim and you'll probably hate it. So you, that's all I would suggest. Do you want to say the name of the band? Jim can say it. We're, we're called The Scattering. Uh, it, it's very much a metal band. It, we're on Bandcamp and all that good stuff if you want to check us out. Um, and all of our contact info is of course in the show notes and, uh, and I will also link to the episode that has, uh, Jim's story in it that was referenced a couple of times and, uh, and a link to Tower Peak and Lassen and, and these places that we're talking about. Nice. Excellent. All right. We have wrapped up episode 10. We had our second guest all in all. I'm calling this one a success. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is really fun. 